All right, boys and girls, and welcome once again to the Rock and Roll Garage for your weekly recording of the podcast called Grease the Wheels, coming out of the pie hole of your Uncle Jimmy and oozing out of your speakers and your earbuds every Thursday. Hey, it's Monday, and when I do a Monday podcast, gets what it's filled with. Yes, Monday angst. <laughs> so get ready for a rough one. What's today's subject? Uncle Jimmy, you might say to yourself, or out loud even. Well, today I want to talk to you about a legal matter, the legal matters, and uh, things that matter legally, things that go on legally, things that are under the law, above the law, breaking the law, breaking the law. But uh, yeah, now I want to talk to you about uh, things that go on in our particular occupation, and maybe some of these things carry over to other occupations that are like ours, or maybe they carry over to other occupations that even aren't fucking like ours. It doesn't matter. We do want to, I do want to kind of address some of the things that are important to keep in mind when you're performing as a uh, automotive technician or as a technician of any kind. And that is that you need to operate yourself within the confines of the law. Unless, of course, you want to be an outlaw, you want to be a thief and a liar and a fraud. If you're any one of these people who feels like they want to do that or they do do that, I need you to just turn the fucking thing off right now. I don't even want to talk to you, okay? There's way, way, way too much honest work out there for all of us. And believe me, it is multiplying rapidly, okay? It is astounding, how much work there is out there for what few fucking automotive technicians are left. So if you feel like you need to rip people off, you I think that you need to get either out of the business or stop, or maybe just go ahead and kill yourself if you're a fucking criminal like that. Nobody needs you around. Now, what I wanted to do was kind of lay out uh, some of the things that you might want to be aware of that maybe you're not, okay? Now, what I did was I went out and I found car repair tips as presented by the Attorney General of the state of Texas, Texas obviously being in the United States. Now, I understand that a lot of you listen in other countries. Uh, I have a, a very warm and fuzzy feeling about the continent of Australia. I think you guys out there are some of the best ever. And I, I really, I would desperately like to come out and see you people and, and see what goes on down there. I heard that it's fucking wild as hell and and you people are tough as nails and, and I, I can appreciate that. So, uh, but I don't know what the laws are there. All I know is what the laws are here where I am. And I, I would imagine you guys probably have some crazy laws that apply to things that you would think don't cover automotive technicians but in the end actually probably do now uh what this particular website uh started out as and i, and I kind of i want to kind of back off from this for 10 seconds and just tell you that i have not read this yet okay and there's a reason for that the reason is that i want my response to be as organic as possible i think you you know by now that what i do is go through read this stuff and become instantly outraged and then add a comment here or there and maybe point out something that's important to know or maybe that's not important to know, or maybe that uh, this guy, Ken Paxton, who is the attorney general of Texas, got this all fucking wrong. Or maybe he got it right. Now, from what I read so far here, he's got it right. Because the website starts out instantly left. You need your car. Yeah, no shit. And when you leave it in the shop for repairs, you can't help worrying about the cost and the quality of the work that's going on under the hood. Yes, this is pretty much uh, universal across the planet. People are always worried about the cost of repairs to their cars, and they're also worried about the quality of the repairs that are done to their car. This is why some people go to specific shops and not others. Some shops have an excellent reputation. Some shops do not. And if people hear from other people that a shop sucks dick, they're not going to go there. If they hear from other people that another shop is the fucking 
the best on earth, then they're probably going to want to try it. And that was the next line, actually, in uh, Mr. Paxton's uh, list of car repair tips here. Your best protection from fraud and faulty repair work is to find a reputable mechanic or repair shop before your car needs to be repaired. Really no shit, okay? But then it says, do your homework and check on the repair shop's reputation online and with friends and family. That's cool, except for my family, not my friends so much, but my family brings their cars to me when they can. And so uh, if you ask them who's the best mechanic in the world, they fucking A better say Uncle Jimmy, goddammit. But <laughs> Uncle Jimmy's uh, moved quite a ways away, so they can't do that anymore. And they have uh, actually struggled to find uh, good mechanics. And uh, I got to be honest with you, it makes me chuckle slightly under my breath <laughs> like that, uh, that uh, suddenly now they realize how much they really enjoyed having me around. But before it just seemed like I was fucking there and, and I was going to do whatever they wanted me to do, wanted them to do. Uh, another one too here is, and now this is where uh, Mr. Paxton, the attorney general of the state of Texas goes off the rails. And really this is, this is not something that I would typically recommend, but it's not the worst idea in the world, but it's also not the best idea in the world. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's what he, they wrote next. Before you go to the the repair shop and the check engine light is on. Now it's, that's worded all wrong. It says before you go to the repair shop with a check engine light at, that is on. That's what it should say. Consider taking it to an auto parts store who may run a computer diagnostic test on your vehicle free of charge. Okay. Well, now let me tell you what's wrong with that statement. It says then you can compare this to what you're told by the repair shop. Okay. That's absolutely fucking fabulous. That is absolutely fabulous. And I, I got to say, I don't completely disagree with that. If somebody comes in and says, oh, I have a, a code P0442 as uh, told to me by uh, AutoZone. I go, yeah, and what else did they tell you? Oh, they told me it's probably just a gas cap. So did they sell you a gas cap? Um, Yeah, it was like 15 bucks. And did it fix it? No, it's still on. Yeah. Okay, here's the rest of the fucking story, pal, which you're not going to get from an AutoZone or, or any other auto parts store, whether it be O'Reilly's or Advanced or Parts Plus or Napa. Here's the other side of the story. A gas cap, a loose gas cap, yes, can cause the old, the, and this is the most infamous fault out there, folks, is the P0442, and the P stands for powertrain, and 442 stands for major leak in the fuel system. Now, obviously, we know, as technicians that the emissions standards that came down long ago, really, quite frankly, say that you can't have gasoline vapors leaking out of a car. Just can't have it. It's not allowed. It's not good for the environment. We're going to put the fucking kibosh on that. And the way they did it was by sealing up the gas tank completely, storing any vapors that might be made by having the fuel slosh around while you're driving, storing those vapors in a carbon canister. And then when you start the car up at a cold start in the morning, a solenoid clicks on and your engine sucks in all those vapors, which have condensed somewhat in the carbon canister and it burns them. They don't get let out into the atmosphere. That's all well and fine. But if you leave the gas cap loose, none of this shit's going to work. It has to be sealed. Okay, makes sense to me, makes sense to you. We fix them all the fucking time, we know. Customers don't know that. They're going to replace the gas cap, and then when it doesn't fix it, then they're going to have to come see you. And then what you have to do, and you know what you have to do, you have to go in with a smoke machine, and you have to fucking fill the whole fucking thing up with smoke and see where it's coming out. And then usually you find something broke or something got chewed through by a mouse or a rodent of some kind. You know, something was dislodged, maybe something came unplugged. There is really literally probably close to a hundred 
different reasons why you might get a fault P0442. Any, everything from a snap line, a broken vapor line, anywhere in that system to a carbon canister that's full of fuel. I had one of them last week. This person must have actually sat there at the gas pump for five minutes, pounding fuel into their gas tank, and eventually it filled up the carbon canister also, so I ended up changing it out and took two pounds of fuel with it because I weighed the old one and I weighed the new one and there was two pints of fuel in it. Two pints of fuel, okay? And the shit's not cheap. It's not that expensive, but it's not that cheap. And oh, by the way, don't pound it into the fucking carbon canister because it's expensive, boys and girls. So what are we going to learn from that? Well, yes, AutoZone can tell you what the fault is. Can they tell you how to fix it? No. They can tell you how you might be able to fix it. So for that to be on this website here under the headline, Choosing a Car Repair Shop, Mr. Paxton is the attorney general of the state of Texas. He is not a marketing man, okay? So he doesn't know how to sell things. He just knows how to tell you how not to get fucking ripped off. Here's some other tips that he had, and these are numbered one through four. And it says, under the law, it is illegal to, and here we go, number one, knowingly make a false or misleading statement about the need for parts, replacement, or repair service. Well, I love the very first word of that sentence, okay? I love it knowingly okay now i have actually replaced parts in the past and i i do it unabashedly okay it's not something i do on purpose i do not ever 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 do it on purpose but i have replaced parts in the past that didn't fix the problem it happens i'm sorry if if you're perfect then i want to meet you but i don't think that there's anybody out there who's perfect we've all done that it's happened you get a car and it has a problem and you diagnose it you say this is the problem and you put that in and it doesn't fix it. And then you you feel like an asshole. I mean, at least I do. Of course, I feel like an asshole almost all the time anyway, but I really don't like doing that. It makes, it does really honestly make me feel like a jerk. I mean, I, I, I try to as hard as I can to fix everything right the very first time. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes what you run into, and this is why this statement is kind of, eh, I'm not really on, I'm kind of on the fence about it. Yes, knowingly make a, making a false statement about the need for parts replacement or repair service. That, that's illegal. It should be illegal. It's, it's right that it's illegal. The problem is knowingly, okay? The terminology is not good, knowingly. Did I know that the part I, I recommended to this customer, it was not gonna fix the car? No, I did not know it wasn't going to fix it. I, in my mind, with my experience and my training and my expertise, thought for sure that that was gonna fix it, okay? Now, whether I was half-assing this whole thing from the beginning or whether I was really diligently going at the diagnosis, that's eh, a whole nother ball of wax, isn't it now? But I didn't knowingly try to sell them parts they don't need. Now, when it comes to maintenance parts, you know, like an air filter or some shit like that, I, you know, they just, cars need them, okay? And you're not going to know before or after an air filter replacement, if it was needed, you're going to be like, oh, you know, car runs the same. Yeah, well, but I'm glad I spent $35 on an air filter that I didn't need. But really, honestly, you do need that shit. Your engine's not going to call you up in the middle of the night, yo, man, thanks for getting me that air filter. You know, seriously, it's not going to do that. And you're going to have to just get the warm and fuzzy feeling all by yourself from the fact that you're doing the preventive maintenance on your vehicle. It doesn't pay you back. It's it's almost a, a, a no sum gain. Uh, it is no there's no financial reward to doing the maintenance to your vehicle. This is why a lot of people don't do it. It's like why should I change your oil? It doesn't pay me back. I go well, you know, I mean, your car's not broken now. But if you don't change the oil, it will be broken later, and then it will cost you a shitload of money then. And then I'm like, well, I'm willing to take that gamble. It's like, 
Okay, whatever. So that that whole statement, number one, knowingly making a false or misleading statement. I think that honestly, if you're a mechanic and you uh, you put something in a car and then somebody comes back and says, well, you knew that wasn't going to fix it. With some of the mechanics I know, they don't know jack shit. You know, they <laughs> they couldn't grab their ass with both hands with a mirror. So saying to them, oh, you knowingly made a false or misleading statement. They didn't know. They don't know shit. They don't know jack shit. So, uh, you know, where are you going to stand up and say, this guy knew that that wasn't going to fix the car? It's it's not something that's going to stick. It's not something that's going to work. Honestly, believe that it's just wrong. Number two, state that work has been done or parts were replaced when that is not true. Well, okay, if you do work or you do. If you say you're going to do something to a car and the customer pays for labor and he pays for parts and then you don't do it, that's that's not good. Now, you and I both know that a lot of times when we're done with a repair, there's nuts and bolts and screws and shit left over. And sometimes we check out a part that's supposed to go with the repair and it's fine. And maybe we didn't have it available at the time. So we just we went with the old part that happens, too. So is that is that a good good rule or is that a good law to have well yeah, actually i think it is but it uh it, it's very nebulous it's like pfft, you can't say that i replaced absolutely every nut bolt and screw because either a i didn't get them or b they were wrong or c uh, i got them too late to actually finish the car with them to be honest with you uh it, it's I, I believe honestly difficult to do a repair where there's anywhere from two to 50 parts and use every single one of them and discard all the old ones because you're just either not going to have them or you're or they're not going to be right or whatever. So is that a good law to have? I think it's a good law to have. I think it would be very difficult to prosecute somebody on that law or to even charge somebody or write them a, an appearance ticket on it. But they, you know, it's got to they got to do their job. This is what they get paid to do. Item number three: represent that goods are original or new when in fact they are secondhand or refurbished. Well, yeah. No, I'm all for that. If you say you're going to put on a brand new part and it has some kind of a warranty and then for some reason the repair goes awry and you end up putting in a used part that you took out of another car that you knew was good and leaving it like that, well, that's probably not good. No, when people give you money, and this goes for uh, items number one and two also, and then number four also, if people give you money for something, whether it's a, a product or whether it's for labor, you need to earn that money, okay? That money needs to be earned. Don't earn money not doing something. Don't earn money putting in parts that aren't what you have represented as being paid for and or put in the car or both. If you tell somebody you're going to get a brand new part for their car and it's going to cost X amount of dollars and you decide to cheap out and you go and you get a used one from the pick and pull and you put it in instead and it works for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years, maybe for the rest of the life of the car, it's still not right. It's just not right. When people give you money, you need to give them what you said you're going to give them in return, nothing less. And it is against the law to give them something less. All right. That's number three. Number four, advertise goods or services with intent not to sell them as advertised. That's just a a regular general bait and switch kind of a thing. Let's not do, let's not let our employers do that. Let's not do that ourselves. If you put out there that you're going to sell somebody uh, a coolant flush for 50 bucks and they come in and they got a Porsche that takes like 900 gallons because the engine's in the back and the radiator's up front. Can't really raise the price on that. You didn't put it in the ad. You know, if you advertise a coolant flush, 50 bucks, guess what? I might bring you a dump truck that holds 60 gallons of coolant and then you got to do that coolant flush. Um, it, it, that's really, that really comes down to marketing actually. And, and you should be smart enough to know there are uh, exceptions to every rule and put that right in your ad and 
so on and so forth. There was a very famous uh, case. Well, I don't say famous. Uh, there's a case that I heard of one time where uh, a dealer had put a coupon in the Yellow Pages. If you're not familiar with the Yellow Pages, ask your mom and dad or your grandma and grandpa. Uh, they had put a coupon. This one particular dealer put a coupon in the Yellow Pages and saying $100 off on a new car purchase, right? It was pretty basic coupon. Just you get $100 off. You buy a new car, you get $100 off. It didn't say anything about a limit. So a woman knowing that, well, legally they can't say that they have a limit, not put it on the thick on the coupon, went out and got 800, 8,800 phone books and cut this coupon out of them and went into the dealer, negotiated a deal on a car and then wanted to pay for it all with these coupons. And of course they said, yeah, go fuck yourself. But she said, no, no, no. I have a lawyer right here who's going to, who's going to say, no, you have to go fuck yourself. I'm getting a car for coupons. And it ended up being a big thing. And I don't, I'm not even sure what the outcome was. I mean, I'm pretty sure they didn't let her. I mean, it's a car dealer we're talking about for Christ's sakes here. They didn't let her drive out of there after giving them uh, 8,800 pieces of paper cut out of a phone book. I'm sure it didn't happen, but it might have. Because if they didn't put on their limit one per customer or, you know, only available at this time and only used, only used for a dealer, you know, there, there was no real stipulations on it. And even the article said that there was no, there was nothing on the coupon itself that said that she couldn't keep getting, I mean, she probably could have, you know, been an asshole and got more of those coupons and gotten something bigger and more expensive, something more than $8,000. Of course, this was many, many years ago when $8,000 still actually bought something. Now, here's another something else that they've uh, put in here. And this is something that actually I'm familiar with from my days in the auto parts industry. This is, uh, I think it was in the 50s. It may have been in the 1960s. There was a couple of senators. One was named Magnuson and another one was Moss. And they came up with this thing called the Magnuson Moss, how clever, uh, Warranty Act. And what that says is basically in a nutshell, because I'm going to broad stroke it for you here, is you usually do not have to use a dealership for regular maintenance or a manufacturer's replacement parts to maintain your manufacturer's warranty. In other words, if you buy a brand new car and they have a warranty on it and they tell you, well, you have to use our filters, then the Moss Magnuson Act says that they have to provide those filters for fucking free. Because I guess that was happening back then. They, they People were saying, oh, you know, if you don't use our filters and get your oil changed in our dealership, we can't warranty, we can't honor your warranty. And these two senators came along and said, yeah, that, that shit's not right. Now, this, uh, Ma- this Moss Magnuson Warranty Act, it's actually pretty uh, intense. And uh, maybe if you get a chance, you should take a look at it. Where you'll find it? Yeah. You know where you'll find it? This is really weird. You'll find it in the back of almost every single oil and air filter catalog ever made. Okay. Because it affects how people buy and sell these things. Okay. And they want you to know that you don't have to buy the factory filters for your vehicle. You don't have to. And if, if they say you have to, to maintain your manufacturer's warranty, then they need to provide them for you for free. So you can go up to a service advisor who's giving you shit because they're saying this kind of thing. And you can just slap them right in the fucking face with the Moss Magnuson Warranty Act. You say, hey, listen, dickhead, we figured it out a long time ago. Now, moving on. And like I said, I haven't read this before, so I'm going to kind of go through it with you. Uh, authorizations to inspect and repair. You should get a written authorization to tow, inspect, test drive, diagnose, or disassemble any part of your car for the purposes of providing of providing an estimate of repair costs prior to the action being taken. 
Really, how about no shit, really? Um, yeah, you should get written authorization. That's for you. That's for us, the technicians. That's for us. We should have written authorization to do all of that shit. Uh, we should have, and, and if you work in a place where you have pre-printed ROs, it's on there. It says it's on there. It says that you are allowed to drive the car. I really think that you should probably all take a copy of your employer's RO if you work for a shop or a dealership. Take a copy of their RO and read the disclaimers on it. It basically says that you can take the the owner's chickens and make a sacrifice to Satan with them. There really is a, quite a bit of legalese in there, which gives you and the dealership almost all of the rights. And this is why this is why the uh, repair order itself, the physical repair order that is created when somebody wants to have you work on their vehicle. This is this is why that's a legal document because there's so much liability there, and they have to corral it somehow. And this is how they do it by having the customer sign the repair order and trust me when i tell you the repair order is a legal document it has always been a legal document and it will always be a legal document and none of it none of it applies to you or the customer until until such time as the customer signs it so always remember that because one of these days one of you guys out there listening to this is going to get bitten right in a fucking ball sack by this somebody's going to come in and say hey i didn't tell you you could drive my car i didn't tell you that you could take it apart i didn't tell you you could do this i didn't tell you i could do that and believe me there's people out there who will do this okay and they'll come back and they'll say well you you know i have a repair order on i'm supposed to fix the car you know i never signed it and so you're fucked okay now maybe maybe just maybe you're just not going to get paid for any of the work you did but maybe you're going to get sued Maybe you fixed the car somehow or another for some reason and the RO wasn't signed and the customer never approved the repairs and, and your boss is going to want to try to get the money and they're going to try to hang on to the car. And if the RO is not signed, they haven't got a fucking legal leg to stand on. The repair order, ladies and gentlemen, the repair order in its printed form is a legal document that needs to be signed before anything can happen to that vehicle. It needs to be signed. That's as simple as it is. And I cannot tell you how many times I have seen ROs that are not signed. And then every once in a while, you know, because everybody's got to cut corners somewhere. Oh, I don't have the time to get the customer to sign it, or the customer doesn't want to sign it, or I don't want them to sign it, or whatever, for whatever fucking reason. And usually we're talking about service advisors here. They're like, oh, I didn't get it signed. No big deal. No, it, it's a fucking enormous deal. And it can be an enormous deal. And if it becomes an enormous deal, then I'm going to put your fucking ass in a witness box. Box, and I'm going to say, repeat to me what you said to me when I when I chastised you about the fact that it wasn't signed. You said it was something deal, not a big deal. Yes. Does that sound right? Ladies and gentlemen, the jury, all of the problems with this vehicle that the customer's having cannot be blamed really on the technician. It could be blamed. They should be blamed on the service advisor, even though he didn't touch the car with a wrench. He's still required to get a signature and he did not. He did not. Now, this is what it says here. You may be asked to sign both the authorization to inspect and the authorization to commence repair. Really, in, in most cases, you sign it once and you're authorized to inspect and diagnose. And then any other authorization typically is verbal, you know, but it's an agreement and it's almost a gentleman's agreement because, and you know, if you've been around even for a few months and uh, that people are going to come in and say, oh, I never authorized that when you know goddamn well they did. And that's why a lot of a lot of these companies now, the one I work for, especially they have uh, they record all the car, all the calls, all the calls are recorded. And so if somebody says, oh, go ahead and fix it and it comes back in later, says, I didn't say you could fix it. Well, let's go to the tape. 
Yeah, go ahead and fix it. Yeah, there it is. So uh, uh, you're going to have to fork out. You're going to have to pay. You know, you said you wanted to go ahead and fix it, and we went ahead and fixed it. Now you don't want to pay. Guess what? Tough fucking shit. Cough up, motherfucker. Throw a crowbar in your wallet, bitch. All right. Yeah. Um, make sure you get your your uh, ROs signed and make sure that repairs are authorized. Really, it shouldn't really be your, as an auto mechanic, it shouldn't be your responsibility to make sure that these things are, are signed and that the author the repairs are authorized. It shouldn't be your responsibility, but you need to make sure that whoever is responsible is fucking holding up their end of the fucking bargain, all right? Things you should not do, and this is great, here again, this is a lawyer, the attorney general of the state of Texas, uh, and I'm sure he didn't write this. Probably a paralegal wrote this, and he just read it real quick and said, yeah, that sounds good, and go ahead post that on the internet. Uh, you should not allow your car to be inspected slash disassembled or lifted up on a rack until you have obtained a copy of the inspection authorization forms with your signature showing the information outlined above. You should not assume that a friendly verbal agreement will get your car fixed. No, 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 no. Okay. Because I will tell you things that aren't true, even though I mean them at the time. Uh, so will the service advisor will say, uh, when I had occasion last week, uh, I said to my service advisor, I was probably going to try to get a f- car fixed. And I mean, you know, I was very noncommittal. Okay. And that's the thing that we do as technicians. Trust me. I know we all do it. You, you, you want to do certain things at a certain time, but then when that time arrives, you're either too fucking tired or too pissed off to go ahead and do it. So on a, on a Friday night, I told the service advisor, I was probably going to put a windshield in Friday night. Friday night rolled around and I said, yeah, fuck that. I'm not doing that. And so Saturday came and the guy called up and is my car done? And the answer came back resounding. Nope, not yet. And then uh, the advisor, he probably got an earful in, uh, the, the next Monday. Uh, my car wasn't ready when you said it was going to be ready and he should know better, but he doesn't. And he's going to, of course, throw the technician under the bus. But uh, as, as far as that goes, yeah, you should uh, never assume that a friendly verbal agreement will get your car fixed. Also to never assume that they're going to do it when they say they're going to do it because other things happen in the shop, folks. I've talked about the chaos of working in an auto repair shop, either a shop or a dealership, an independent or or wherever. And and the, the sheer chaotic, the sheer way everything just turns chaotic during the day. You know, you could have nothing to work on for the first hour in the morning. And then all of a sudden 19 waiters show up and you realize that 10 people called in sick or were on vacation that week. There's three of you in the shop. And so uh, you're all basically fucked. And so if somebody tells you they're going to fix your car on on a specific day, but they have no idea what's going to come through the door that day, they have no idea what's going to happen. They have no idea who's going to try to ram a car up your ass that day. You can't really, you can't really hold them to that. This is this is what the whole statement really said, okay? And I kind of took it in a different direction, but this is what the whole statement says: You should not assume that a friendly verbal agreement will get your car fixed without arguments, lawsuits, or repossessions. Get everything in writing, and really get everything in writing. That's that should be tattooed on every lawyer's forehead. But uh, you should, as an automotive technician, also get everything in writing. So should your service advisor. So should your service manager. If people tell you, "Hey, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do this." Put it in fucking writing. This way I can take a piece of paper and, and shove it in your face when you don't do it or when things go awry. You say, no, no, no. We got it in writing. It's right here. You should not allow, this is some more, this is some more, uh, some more tips, things you should not do. 
This is according to the Attorney General of the state of Texas. You should not allow anyone to speak for you in negotiating car repairs on your vehicle. Deceptive shops will use this as an excuse to add on extra charges on the grounds that some other person authorized the repairs. Now, here's the deal. Husbands and wives do this shit all the time. Wife will bring the car in and the service advisor will say to her, oh, you know, you need tires, you need this, you need that. And she'll say, oh, I have to talk to my husband. It's fine. It's expected. If your husband was going to buy clothes, he'd probably call you. It's kind of a, a male-oriented thing. And I'm, I'm not trying to be an angry, evil, mean, sexist, and misogynist uh, woman hater. I love women. But for the most part, men typically are more in tune with the car repair needs and the needs of a car per, as far as maintenance goes and anything like that. They're typically more receptive and more knowledgeable about those things than women. Not always. Not always. I know some women who are very savvy with the internal combustion engine and the automobile in general and would consider them smarter than other people about those things, but it's an exception rather than a rule. So it's not uncommon for a a lady, a woman, a girl, whatever you want to call them, to come in and then say, oh, you know, I have to discuss this with my husband, boyfriend, father, brother, whatever. It's fine. But as long as the person who has signed the arrow authorizes the repairs, then they're copacetic. Because if somebody, you know, if if some lady calls up her husband and says, well, they want to put tires on the car, he might say, well, are the tires bad? And they'll be like, well, they said they're this many 30 seconds or they showed me a video or whatever it was. Maybe I went out and looked at them and they said there was cords hanging out of them. The husband might say, oh yeah, definitely go ahead and get them. I mean, you're going to be hauling around the kids. I mean, I could get a new wife and make more kids, but I like the ones I got. So, you know, let's let's get the car fixed. Let's let's make it safe. Let's make it roll and ride. Here's the next point. And this is just, this next point is just generally good information for all human beings everywhere on the planet. And it really doesn't have anything to do with the car, to be honest with you. But you should not disclose your credit card account number, driver's license number, or any other personal information unless you clearly specify that giving the information is only for loan approval purposes or unless you have approved the work. The work is finished and you are ready to pay for it. Yeah, uh, there's a hell of a lot of identity theft going on out there. A hell of a lot of it. Don't help anybody do that. Got credit card account numbers. Keep to yourself. Driver's license number. Don't let anybody know what that is. Your social security number here in the United States, we have this thing called social security. We all have a number. If you're born on on the uh, right-hand side of the Mississippi River, you have a zero as the beginning number of your social security number. If you're born on the left-hand side, you have a one. And that's kind of a, a you know just a general uh, general rule of thumb. If you're born in California, your social security number begins with a one. If you're born east of the Mississippi, you have a zero. Uh, don't let anybody know what the rest of the numbers are, though, especially over the phone. What a, what a mistake it is. People, cell phones are great. They help us keep in touch with a lot of a lot of people. They can help us readily access information, just pushing a few buttons, sometimes even by just talking at the fucking thing. But other people can get at your information as it exists in your phone. So be very careful about what you put in your phone and be very careful about what you say when you're talking on your phone, because it's basically a radio transmission. And guess what? Other people can sometimes hear them. They can pick them up and hear them. Okay. So 
Let's be careful out there. As far as legal information, this isn't really anything new for you guys, okay? Get things in writing. Don't give anybody any of your personal information, yada, 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 okay? Uh, don't don't start taking a car apart until you have authorization, until you see the RO is signed. Just don't do it, okay? Because there's people out there who are just waiting for you to, to rip the rip their car to shreds, to shred their car to pieces, and they're going to come in and go, oh, I never authorized that. And if their signature is not on the repair order, you're screwed. You're screwed. The shop's screwed. Everybody's screwed. Make sure you have permission and you have a signature to back up that permission. Now, here's something that they went on that, and it's funny because I'm 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 reading it as I'm I'm reading it right in the middle of the podcast. How can you do that? No, you can't see it, but my lips are moving. Um, here's what else it says. It says uh, you should clearly indicate in writing that giving this information does not constitute an authorization to inspect or repair your vehicle. What you should. You should clearly indicate in writing that giving this information does not constitute an authorization to inspect or repair your vehicle. The authorization to inspect or repair is a completely separate authorization that should also require your signature. Deceptive shops will extract this personal information from you. Oh, they're talking about personal information. Commence work without your authorization. Look, there isn't really any shops out there. I'm sure there's some, but there really shouldn't be any shops out there that are going to go ahead and work on your car without you authorizing any kind of any kind of repairs on it whatsoever. When you bring a vehicle to a repair shop, not you as a technician, obviously, but as a customer, you're going to have to sign something. Nothing should get done unless you sign it. Night drop, night drop uh, envelopes have a place to sign. It says sign here and then we can work on your car. Otherwise, and then what it'll say on those too, if you've ever looked at those, they'll say, hey, we're going to uh, call you when we find out what's going on and then we'll, and, and we'll call you for authorization for repairs. Uh, the call to authorize repairs has almost always been a, a, really a gentleman's agreement. I mean, they call you over the phone. They don't know who you are. You're, uh, you know, if you drop a car off at night, you're, you're, you're uh, John Doe. And John Doe's car is here. And John Doe has signed the RO and, he, and the uh, night drop envelope and John Doe put John Doe's phone number in there and John Doe got called and John Doe at John Doe's phone number said go ahead and fix the car and John Doe at the John Doe's phone number wasn't the real John Doe who owns the fucking car so really you should actually have a signature let that be a word to the wise here now common Car repair issues and this is again here's this is coming from the Attorney General of the state of Texas Number one, watch out for these potential problems. Okay, this is going to be great. Okay, I'm just going to fill you in on this right now. This is going to be great. Number one, the shop waits until the vehicle is up on the lift and partially disassembled before getting your authorization to proceed with repairs. Um, Yeah, this happens all the fucking time. I mean, I got two cars on my bay right now. I mean, I'm home, but I have two cars on my bay right now that are, that are half apart. I'm trying to figure out why they're broken. I have, they are partially disassembled. I'm going to have to, uh, they're, par- they're going to remain partially disassembled until I get your authorization to proceed with the repair. By then, you are essentially forced to A, authorized overpriced repairs or risk getting your car back in a disassembled and unusable condition. Now, I would never do that. I hope, and there's nobody, I hope there's nobody out there who would do that. I'll bet you money, though, that there is some of you out there who've done that because somebody has brought their car and I I can see the scenario happening in my mind. Somebody brought their car by and they wanted you to find out what's wrong with it and you had to shred the shit out of it. And they said, you know, go ahead and shred the shit out of it and tell me what's wrong with it. And then when you tell them what's wrong with it, they go, oh, I don't want to fix that. 
I don't want to fix that. I don't have the money. Or maybe I'm just being a jerk and I have the money. I don't want to fix it though. And now their car is all shredded and you have to put it back together. Now I can see somebody pushing something like that out the door. You know, the wheels and the struts may be out of the car. So they have to drag it out. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> I got a little pickup with four wheel drive, man. I'll drag a lot of shit out of a shop with no fucking wheels on it. This doesn't happen in the way that they're saying though. You're not forced to pay for repairs. You're not forced to authorize overpriced repairs just because your vehicle's disassembled. Yeah, if you're a jerk, we might put your shit outside disassembled, especially if you say you're not even going to pay us for the Diag. Yeah, we might do that. But a lot of times we don't have to disassemble them too far to figure out what's going on. I mean, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to kill the, the crank and the connecting rods out of it to figure out that, you know, the oil pump gave up or that a timing chain is sloppy loose. We don't usually have to do that. We can go and we can diagnose that and your car will actually still run. And if you don't want to go ahead and do it, okay, we'll drive it out. I very, very rarely have to push cars out. And typically if I'm pushing a car out, I had to fucking push the fucking thing in. I don't bring in cars that work and then turn them into cars that don't work and then fucking throw them outside because the guy doesn't want to pay. I mean, I could, I usually don't. I mean, I can see it happening though. But uh, I don't think it's a, as big a problem here as the uh, Attorney General of the State of Texas says it is. The other problem here, because uh, there was a there was a force to, and then there was A, authorize overpriced repairs, and then B, pay a large and unexpected fee to have your vehicle reassembled, only to discover it no longer runs at all. Well, that's that's just wrong on so many different levels, right there. I mean, I mean, how far apart did you take the car? to diagnose it. That's that's part of the question. I mean, do you want me to diagnose bad connecting rod bearings? Yeah. If I take it all apart and I pull the bearings out and they're all down to the copper, I'm going to say, yeah, you need connecting rod bearings. And guess what? If you don't want to do it, then I'm going to put it outside and it's not going to run any longer. Not going to run. I'm not going to put shit bearings back in your thing and bolt them back up and let you drive out. I mean, I could. Am I going to do that? No, probably not. You'll have to play that one by ear. Are we going to charge you to put it all back together again? Well, we should have a diagnostic fee that would cover that. Okay, that's probably how that could that would go. If you say, "Hey, I want you to diagnose my connecting rod bearings," I'd say, "Well, it's going to be like three, four hours." What does that What does that three or four hours include? It includes me dropping the oil pan and popping off some some uh, connecting rod bearing caps and seeing if your connecting rod bearings are shit. And then if you don't want it, it includes putting that shit back together again, pouring in your old fucking oil, putting your old fucking valve, uh, oil pan gasket back on and fucking driving it out. That's what that would include. That that was what that would be what would happen in my shop. There's all kinds of situations where that might not happen. But uh, you know what? We wouldn't probably make you pay. You'd already you'd already have a large enough diagnostic fee in the beginning to cover the fact that you might not want to get the car repaired. We kind of have to look. We kind of have to be, you know, Nostradamus or Kreskin and foresee that you might not want to do it. So we're going to have to charge you all the money up front as a diagnostic fee to take it apart and then to reassemble it. That's probably what should happen. But I can definitely see uh, some shops trying to charge you to put the car back together again because they didn't charge enough for diagnosis in the first place. Okay, number two, and this is a potential problem, and I've actually seen this on TV as uh, 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes did a expose. Shit, Christ, it was back in the 70s, I think they did this, where uh, a gas station attendant with a gas station that did repair work was actually pumping 
gas into a car. And when the owner walked off, he poured oil on the ground underneath it and said, hey, your shocks are leaking or your differential's leaking or your engine's leaking. And then the guy whips out his little card that says he's from, you know, 60 minutes and he's got a cameraman there. And he says, I saw you pour that oil on the ground, you piece of shit. And then the guy goes, yeah, yeah, uh, well, my boss told me to do it. And then they go to try to find the boss, and he's nowhere to be found. Uh, and that's what number two is here under common car repair issues. This is how number two reads. The shop shows you dirty oil with metal filings in it as evidence that you need a new transmission. Okay. Virtually all used transmissions have dirty oil with some amount of dirt and metal filings. Great. So the attorney general is now... A, a forensic automotive technician. That's great. This is normal and is not necessarily a sign that you need a whole new transmission. However, once the transmission is disassembled and reassembled with the same old seals and parts, it usually does not work the same as before. What? Uh, I'm not sure what they're getting at there. They're, they're actually, they actually think that people would go, and, and, and I'm sure this happens somewhere in the world, uh, that you would take some oil out of the transmission that had metal shavings in it, show the customer and say, you need a new transmission. And then what you would do is take the transmission, disassemble it and reassemble it, but not change anything at all. And then they assume that it will usually not work the same as before. Well, I'll tell you right now that I could take a transmission apart, not replace anything, put it back together again. And I mean, unless I found something that was broken in there or something that was wrong, it would work the same as before. So here's a case of somebody who sits in a chair all day, not knowing really what the fuck they're talking about. Now, I get the gist of what they're trying to say is here is, is don't go and take a transmission oil pan and show somebody all the shit that's in the bottom of it and go, oh, your transmission is going to be is bad. No, we know that you're going to have all kinds of debris that comes out of a transmission. Hell, there's there's clutches in there that have to hold and then and then release and then hold again. And so there's going to be material that comes off of them. We know that. That's in an automatic. And even in a manual, you're going to get some metal shavings out of a manual. When gears break in, when they start to wear, they're going to they're going to lose a little bit of of steel off of their surfaces. Every single time you switch a gear, you're going to lose a little bit of metal. If they have oil in there, obviously this wear is kept to a bare minimum. But the oil is going to have some shit in it. Okay, now if any of you have ever done what's called a Blackstone, which is a company that takes oil out of you know certain things, whether it be an automatic transmission or whether it be a manual transmission or even an engine or maybe even a rear end, and they examine it and they tell you what's going on with it. I worked at a, a race shop a few years ago and we did this all the time all of the time and a lot of times the the message would come back say hey there's a lot of tin there's a lot of copper in your oil you should probably get your connecting rod bearings looked at and possibly changed and maybe even your main bearings that was what they were doing that and that's what that was for and that's not something that's something that most people are not going to do okay you're not going to do that you know if you got a a regular commuter car that you just drive back and forth to work and you know you change the oil every every 5000 miles or maybe every 6 months or maybe every year you're not going to do a blackstone because your car is probably fine most of the time people that do these blackstone oil sample examinations these uh that send them to the lab they have uh typically high performance cars and race cars and they want to know if they need to do some preventative maintenance before something goes catastrophically wrong and this is just smart and they'll know they know that you know if you pull oil out of a car and you see metal shavings in it that sometimes it's good 
Sometimes, I mean, it's almost never good, but it's sometimes it's not bad. Let me put it that way, okay? Not saying, I don't want to say it's good to see metal shavings in your oil. That's just wrong. I'm sorry I even said that. Because if you change your oil and the metal shavings are coming out with it, that's what you want. You want that shit the fuck out of there. Because all those metal components in there that are rubbing against each other, even though they're oiled up pretty good, they're still going to transfer a little bit of friction into the metal and the metal is going to break off in very very tiny pieces and you'll see a little bit of it okay now if you see a lot of it obviously if it looks like stripper glitter you got a fucking problem especially if you pull an oil filter out and you look at it it looks like a christmas tree with tinsel all over it you're going to have some fucking major repairs on your hands okay you need to be smart about what you see when you're looking at fluids and you're looking at the filters to filter those fluids okay you need to be smart and if you're a, an above, you know, you're you're a guy who does the job above board, he's a honest, hardworking person, and if somebody comes to you with some sort of a piece of equipment, whether it's a car or whatever it is, and you pull fluids out of it, they have a lot of metal in them, you need to just be straight with them. Just say, well, this is an abnormal amount of, of metal in the oil, or it's a normal amount of oil uh, metal in the oil. And from there, you need to make a decision. You need to guide them through what they need to do. Obviously, there's some shops who are going to say, oh, that's bad. That's bad. Every time it's bad, uh, it's the apocalypse. If you have uh, an oil, you know, you have anything in the oil that isn't oil, you know, let's try not to do that. The attorney general of the state of Texas says it's not good. It's not good. Let's not do it. Okay. Number three, the, the shop starts repair work on your car without first getting your authorization to perform the repair uh, and charges you for the repair work that you did not authorize. That's just no bueno altogether. If somebody does not give you authorization to work on their car, do not work on their car. Simple as it is. If they authorize you to work on their car to do the repair work, go nuts. Fix the fucking thing. But if they do not authorize it, do not go ahead and repair it. Park it outside and pull something else in. Now, you and I, as technicians, typically get the go-ahead to perform a repair from someone else, not the customer. We get from either a service advisor or maybe the shop manager or maybe the, even the shop owner may come out and say, this guy called and said, go ahead. In that case, it's in my eyes anyway, it's just as good as the customer authorizing it. Because if the shit hits the fan, it ain't going to be your fan. It's going to be your boss's fan or your service advisor's fan. Okay, Because if the, if the customer did not authorize repair work and you went ahead and did it because the boss said to do it, then you just say, hey, the boss said to do it. The boss may deny it, but if the boss denies telling you to do a repair and he actually did tell you to do the repair, and he's just trying to save his ass, you need to get the fuck out of there. You need to grease the wheels and fucking bid that motherfucker adieu. Because if he's throwing you under the bus in that particular situation, you got to wonder how many other situations he's going to throw you under the bus. And that may come to a question of being arrested and charged or even being liable for something heinous. Okay, don't let that happen to you. Okay, and be on your toes with some of these shop owners and even some of these dealerships, okay? As I've said before, I'm very fond of saying this, that a lot of the people who work in a dealership uh, come from the sales side of things. And these people are, all, in a lot of cases, they're fucking pirates. All right, here's something else that goes on in shops sometimes. The shop gives you, as a customer, gives you a verbal estimate as to the cost of repairs. Yeah, I think if you call them on the phone, you're always it's always going to be verbal. Uh, I don't know anybody who can do American Sign Language over the phone. And I don't know a lot of people who actually do like a, a FaceTime uh, for, approval to, <laughs> for approval for repairs, okay? So it's going to be verbal. 
most of the time, but it should be set in stone. And I agree with them that you should have an idea of how much it costs. And then the shop needs to stick to it. If they try to charge you a higher price, you need to fucking ixnay that shit immediately. You have to say, no, no, no. You said it was going to be this much. I wrote it down on a piece of paper. Here it is. If you want, we can go back and listen to the recording of it. If you have that kind of equipment. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't let them do that. If they want to, if they have to have something else, then they'll need to call you. And this happens all the time. We have parts on some of the cars that we work on, uh, whereby if you touch something, it's going to break. And, and really, we almost know that beforehand. And sometimes we will actually quote those parts. I mean, we work on the same cars pretty much over and over and over again. We know what's going to fuck up and what's not going to fuck up. And there's some very famous parts on some of the cars that we work on that fuck up constantly, they fuck up almost every time. And so when we tell you we're going to change your spark plugs, we're going to need this other little piece of hose that goes in there as well because when we go to try to take the old one off, it's going to say, yeah, that's it for me, Charlie, and break into about a thousand fucking pieces and be done. Now, we're going to move on here. Uh, the shop represents that repair services will be completed by a certain day in order to induce the sale, then fails to have the repair services completed by that day. Now, I have, that's the whole thing. That was number five on this list, okay? The shop represents that repair services will be completed by a certain day in order to induce the sale. Customers don't do that too often, but they will do that. They say, listen, I need a car by... Thursday, I'm going on a trip, leaving Saturday morning. I don't want to be fucking around Friday night with the car. Okay, I get that. And you as the technician have have to be honest with yourself. Can I do this job in a reasonable amount of time and have it done before that customer is going to come to get it? And then on top of that, you need to convince, and this is difficult to do. I got to be honest with you. Not something that I'm able to do myself at all. You have to convince the particular service advisor or whether it's a shop owner or a shop manager that is trying to sell this repair work, you need to convince them that you're going to need time to repair the fucking car. Okay. You can't just say, oh, I'll have it done in 20 minutes. No, you can't do that. You need to have a reasonable estimate for repair time. And when I say reasonable, what I mean is you can't have somebody who sits in a chair up front all day long and freely admits out loud that they don't know anything about cars and then have that particular person quote a promise time. It happens in every motherfucking shop I work in. It happens with every advisor I work with. It happens all the time. It happens every goddamn day and it needs to fucking stop. If you don't know anything about cars, you don't know what it takes to do anything to a car then how in the fuck can you quote promise times? But they do, they do it all the time. Oh, they should be able to have that done by the end of the day. That's not good. Certain jobs, yes, you can go ahead and do that. Certain jobs. But if you don't know, don't just throw that out there. That's what they're saying. Don't don't tell somebody that you can have their car ready by Thursday, Wednesday night, when you, you're not familiar with what's involved with the repair. Maybe you think you're familiar, and that's the problem with people of the chair, is they think that they're familiar with everything. They think they're smart. And, and maybe some of them are. But in my opinion, I have found that a lot of them aren't. You know, if they say, hey, you know, it's how long is it going to take to do this job? Three, four hours? Okay. So I can have it tomorrow by noon. No. Well, you just said it would take three, four hours. I go, well, it's not the only car I'm going to have tomorrow morning, pal. You're going to write up six waiters. I'm going to have parts come in for another car that's been waiting for three weeks. I'm going to have this going on. I'm going to have that going on. I'm going to have just general 
regular, everyday fucking chaos that I'm going to have to put up with, that I'm going to have to handle, I'm going to have to deal with, and it's not going to involve fixing this fucking car. I just told you it's going to take three hours to fix because I'm not going to start that at 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm not going to start it at 9. I'm not going to start it at 10. I think you're going to be lucky if I start it at 11. And instead of taking three hours because I'm going to have to go to lunch and I'm also going to have to do two waiters, it might not be finished by the end of the day. That shit happens every motherfucking day in every motherfucking shop in the world. All day long, all day long. Nobody takes into account the chaos. Nobody takes into account the problems that you might run into. Nobody takes into account the fact that I don't feel good that day, maybe. Maybe they don't take into account the fact that I dropped a socket and I got to spend an hour and a half looking for the fucking thing because I'm not losing the socket. It's not going to happen. They also don't take into account that we might have a shop meeting and for two hours or maybe an hour and a half or maybe just an hour, we're not going to fucking do a goddamn thing. And what I suggest, and I've always suggested this and, and some other people who are smart have suggested this, is that you do a little thing we call UPOD. U-P-O-D. And what that is, is and it stands for, and you should learn this and you should teach this to the people you work with, under promise and over deliver. And when you quote unrealistic promise times, people, you're over promising and you're always going to under deliver. You have to under promise. If somebody says, I need the car for Saturday and it's Wednesday and you know that the job is going to take eight hours and, and you could have some problems with the parts, you just need to tell that guy, say, listen, you're going to cut me right to the bone here. I may be able to have it done for you on Friday, but man, that's, that's really putting me under the gun and I don't really want to do that. So maybe we should make some different arrangements for you. Or maybe you should make some different arrangements. Or maybe we fix it when you get back from wherever it is you're going to go with the fucking thing. Maybe it isn't that bad. But don't build them up just to let them down. Don't do that. Under promise. Let them know. Say, listen, you know, you want eight hours worth of work done in one solid day. You're expecting that technician. It's really selfish, actually, to think that way. Okay, because you what you're saying is you want one guy to work on your car and that's the only car he works on that day. Well, that's a fucking wonderful idea. Unfortunately, it is not going to fucking happen. I'm going to have to go to lunch. I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to get parts. I may not get all the parts. It's just so many fucking things that go wrong. Don't let that happen to you. Under promise. Somebody says they want something and it's an unreasonable amount of time. Just tell them, say, can't do it. You're going to get mad at me. You're, if I say I can do it, you're going to get mad at me when I can't. So inst- why don't you just get mad at me now and then we'll call it done. Shops that represent repair services that will be completed by a certain day in order to induce a sale, it's just wrong. Don't don't tell somebody you're going to have something done for them at a specific time or else they're not going to get it done. You're better off telling those people that you can't do it because when you can't do it, they're going to be triply angry at you they're gonna be more angry at you than than they would be if you told them you can't do it have have a realistic frame of mind about how long it takes to do something have a realistic frame of mind about that shit it's important you come back to me and you say oh i need this done by the end of the day and it's three o'clock they say well you know what the day doesn't end until midnight so you've got plenty of time but they can't pick it up after six o'clock can they now no so end of the day means six o'clock to you End of the day might mean midnight to me. Get your shit together. Figure out what the fuck you're doing. And if you run into this problem, if you're a service advisor, and I want to just kind of say this real quick to all the service advisors out there. If you run into this problem on a regular basis, you need to take a good long look in the fucking mirror and see and, and, and know that you are looking at the problem. The problem is you. 
if you are constantly having to fucking bullshit customers about why their shit isn't done, fucking turn that shit around. A customer's going to be, you know, if you tell a customer that something's going to take one day and it takes two, he's going to be pissed. If you tell a customer that it's going to take two days and it takes one days, he's going to be overjoyed. Which customer would you prefer to talk to? It's up to you. How, what a customer thinks and what a customer knows and what a customer wants is completely and 100% determined by what you fucking tell them. So change what you say, change what you tell them. Can't be any more clear than that. You are in charge of what the customer thinks. Make the customer think they're not going to get their car back until Friday. Try to have it finished on Thursday. You'll be a hero. You won't have to throw the technician under the bus and that customer will be happy. And you know what you're going to find too? This is the other fucking problem here. People do this all the time. They say, oh, I want my car by, you know, three o'clock, three o'clock Tuesday. So you break your balls, you break your technician's balls, you break your parts department's balls about getting everything done on this guy's car by three o'clock on a Tuesday. And then he doesn't pick it up until fucking Friday. Happens all the fucking time. And that, quite frankly, Makes you an asshole in my mind. You and a customer, by the way. Number six, the shop fails to disclose reassembly or inspection charges before starting repair work. See, that's that's just that's a no that's a no go. That's that's just not. I mean, if if you have something to say, listen, we gotta take this apart, we're gonna have to put it back together again, you should always quote enough time to do it all. You're not gonna tell somebody, say, Well, we can disassemble your engine in an hour, which you probably can but it's going to take you four or five to put it back together again. You better quote six hours. And if they say, why does it take so long to take my car apart? Well, it doesn't take that long to take it apart, but it sure does take a long time to put the fucking thing back together again. And we're not doing it for free. So there you go. And if they don't like it, fuck them. Fuck them. They can leave. They can take their shit somewhere else where somebody will lie to them, where somebody will tell them something that's wrong and they can get pissed off there too. Look, a lot of people who have cars that need repair end up just pissing themselves off by not asking for what they really need, by not asking for the right thing, by not asking for it to be done correctly or properly. They're trying to cut corners. They're trying to get you to do stuff for free. So that's not going to happen to me. Somebody brings me a car and they say, oh, you know, I think I need connecting rod bearings. I say, well, I can pull it all apart. That's only going to take me a couple hours, but I'm going to have to put it back together again. That's another three, four, five hours. I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with an estimate for seven, eight, nine, ten hours. How come so fucking much? Because I got to put it back together again when you say, oh, gee, I don't want to do it. Unless you know that I'm going to leave it disassembled because I'm not going to. I This is shit, This is shit, folks, that is not going to happen to your Uncle Jimmy. Okay, I've been around too long. I've, I've, I've had to eat fucking big, great big buckets of shit because I didn't do some of these things. Don't let it happen to you. You need to be above board. You need to be honest, you need to be straightforward, and you need and you need to fulfill your promises. But don't leave yourself shy of the money that you need to get to do these things right. Don't tell somebody you take their engine apart for, for an hour of labor. And then when they want you to put it back together again, then you tell them, oh, well, that's going to that's be four hours. Tell them up front. So it's an hour to take it apart. It's four hours to put it back together again. If you don't want to pay one or the other, then just fucking vamoose the fuck out there's not enough technicians there's not enough shops there's always enough customers you can you can afford to lose customers that's another thing too and i, I don't want to just kind of uh digress for a second on that and we had an incident with a customer this is great too i, I just want to kind of throw this out there real quick uh did a free repair on a guy's car there was a a, a, a certain uh recall that was available for his car he brought his car in so we could do the recall read ie the free stuff and I took care of that. And while I was doing that, I made a video and showed him everything on his car that needed some attention. His tires weren't that great. A couple of, uh, I think his back brakes were bad. 
Uh, but other than that, the car was in pretty good shape. And I let him know. I said, you know, you got a lot of stuff on your car. It's in good shape. You just got a couple things that need some attention. This guy fucking freaked the fuck out. He freaked out that I made a video and told him he needs repairs to his car. He freaked out. The best part was is that the uh, recall that I was doing for him, which, by the way, was free, I had to actually stop in the middle of it and remove a CD from his CD player. Imagine that. And it was hooting a blowfish. So here's a guy stuck in the 90s listening to fucking hooting a blowfish yelling at us because we made a video showing him what's wrong with his car. Um, Sorry, I don't see any problem with that at all, but apparently this guy lost his shit. Big time, too, by the way. So, and when he left, uh, I, I, you know, it was funny because I told him, I said, well, you know, I had to remove your CD, but I put your Hootie and a Blowfish CD back in this CD player. He didn't really seem to like that too much. Uh, but then he left and said that he would never come back again. And I, I don't think anybody there was sad to see him go. Uh, he really, he really did. He fucking, he lost his shit right there in the, in the service department, in the uh, drive on. And it was completely unnecessary. Because, I mean, if I make a video and I send you an estimate, what's the worst thing that happens in all in all of that scenario, in that whole entire scenario? You didn't pay for the video. You didn't pay for the estimate. You didn't pay for the repair. You didn't pay anything. Do you want your money back? Yeah, I can give you that. I can pay you back that money because you paid us nothing and I could give you nothing. I'd be happy to give you nothing, dick. Anyway, that's just me blowing off a little steam. They didn't really yell at me. They yelled at, my, at one of my service advisors. And, you know, I can't say I don't... Uh, I can't say I don't enjoy that sometimes, okay? <laughs> uh, I know their job is tough, but fuck them. Number seven, let's move on here because the uh, the Attorney General of the State of Texas went went and, you know, he, he wrote down all this stuff for us, and I just want to kind of get through it here. Number seven, uh, number six was shop fails to disclose reassembly or inspection charges before starting repair work. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, you, you have to tell them, sell them labor for everything that you have to do beginning to end. Yeah. All right, that wraps up number six. Number seven, the shop advertises free towing and then requires you to pay for your towing costs. Right, we don't tow at any of the shops that I've ever worked at. Free towing, I, you know, I mean, obviously there's an asterisk after that that says free towing if you get a repair done by us. That's another thing. And it's probably in small letters. Um, and if you don't do the repair, then they're going to want you to pay for the towing. Because it's only free if you do a repair. If they advertise free towing and there's no disclaimer to it, it's like the lady with the uh, 8,000 coupons trying to buy a free car with them. It's like, look, if you don't put the disclaimer in your ads or on your coupons, then, you des- if you- then you're just stupid and you deserve to-, to give that shit away for free. If they try to make you pay, uh, you can always call a lawyer or even call this guy, this uh, Mr. Paxton, the uh, attorney general of the state of Texas. I would imagine he's busy, a busy guy, and he probably has a whole bunch of people who work for him who handle these th- sorts of things. And he might even re- be right here in the city that I'm in, but uh, I'm pretty sure that he's not the guy who's going to handle this for you, but he's probably got some people there who will handle it for you. And that, you know, that's the, that's the same in all the states in this country, in the United States anyway, is that they all have a state attorney general and you also have county district attorneys and, and these sorts of people. And, and they're supposed to look out for you as a citizen of that county and a citizen of that state. And we even have a, a, a regular attorney general in the country, you know, a national attorney general. So these people are all supposed to look out for you that it seems like they rarely do, but, uh, that that is what they're supposed to do. If somebody advertises free towing and doesn't doesn't have the uh, the disclaimer there, 
then then they should give you free towing and and they should also see a lawyer themselves about getting that shit fixed. Okay. Number eight, the shop says it will provide a free rental car during repairs and then requires you to pay for rental charges. Uh, if they say it's free, it should be free. I mean, it's just pretty straightforward. And if they try to get you to pay for the rental, I mean, unless you wrecked it, um, that's, and that, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but we loan cars out at the shop that I'm working at right now. We have a shit house of them and they get smashed up on a real regular basis it's kind of fucked up and what they have done years ago which is smart it's like the smartest thing they ever did i mean it was pretty dumb actually to lend people cars okay because and we all know that uh i mean as technicians as people who know things about cars we know one of the things that we don't ever want to buy is a rental car or a loaner car because anytime you loan somebody a car or rent them a car the main thing in their mind is, guess what? It's not my car. So I'm going to drive it over shit. I'm going to fucking do donuts with it. I'm going to fucking ramp it. I'm going to be fucking bowing Luke Duke of the Dukes of Hazard and jump that motherfucker over everything. I'm going to beat the fucking crap out of it. And then what ends up happening is they fucking wreck them. And maybe, maybe, I would say probably 50% of the time, they didn't mean to wreck it. Actually, probably 100% of the time, they didn't mean to wreck it, but 50% of the time, they were just driving normal and somebody else hit them or they hit something and it weren't it wasn't heinous. 50% of the time, I think damage to rental cars is heinous, though. Yeah, but that's just my opinion. I don't want to sit here and tell you that's how it is. I just that I've seen rental cars get their absolute ass handed to them, and in some cases, by me even. Um <laughs> It's just one of those things, man. And uh, if somebody says they're going to give you a free one, that doesn't mean you can just take it out and beat the fucking crap out of it and kill it. I mean, you're probably going to anyway, but nowadays what they do is they have you provide your insurance on that car. So if you wreck it, it's your insurance that fixes it. And let me tell you what, I have made a fairly good amount of money working in the shop I work in right now, just fixing the loaner cars. People just they, they've got them, and for some reason, I don't know, maybe they lose their fucking minds or whatever it is they do, but they wreck the fucking shit out of them, and then I have to screw them back together again. I can't do the body work, but, you know, I mean, I've gotten some towed in where the wheels are ripped off, the control arms are bent in, at a 45-degree angle, sometimes even a 90-degree angle. I mean, I have just gotten loaner cars back and this has gone on since i got here i mean literally like the first week i was working at this particular dealership we had wrecked loaners in the shop we'd only been open a month it's like fuck they didn't even wait they were lined up to borrow these cars while we worked on theirs and then they fucked them up and then it's in some <laughs> in a couple of cases they go well do you have another loaner i can have and we're like yeah no no uh, wrecking one of our loaners, that's thats enough. And we actually have had to have shut people off from getting loaner cars from us because they don't have the skills to drive a car correctly. And I'm not going to make any further comment on that because I'm not the greatest driver in the world, and I know that. But there's a whole bunch of people in that fucking club with me, and they don't even know it. Uh, shop says they will provide repair services, a free rental car during repair, and then requires you to pay. Uh, we don't do that. We do not do that. The customers never had to pay any kind of a, a loaner or rental car charge to us. Uh, we usually take care of that. Uh, a good shop that has integrity and works uh, above board and doesn't, you know, partake in any of these uh, heinous uh, things here that the attorney general has pointed out to us. Uh, it, yeah, we we don't work in places like that. Okay, um, if you work for somebody 
who does underhanded things like that, I seriously suggest you get out because if they're underhanded with the customers, they're going to be underhanded with you at some point. And they may have already been underhanded with you. And if you're not paying attention to how much you should get paid for the work you do, you better, you might want to start. If you notice your employer is doing things that aren't, that aren't right, isn't playing by the rules, then you can bet that there's a lot of rules are breaking and some of them may have to do with you and your pay and maybe even your benefits in some cases. Uh, number eight, that's a, that's a, something that the customers have to be aware of. It's also something that you should be aware of too. Uh, number nine, the shop says they will provide repair services pursuant to a warranty and then charges you for the repair work covered by the warranty. I, I don't know where that's, I don't know how somebody's going to try to do that. If you come into our shop and you have a warranty, uh, first off, if you have an aftermarket warranty, that's an enormous pain in the ass for us as technicians. It's also an enormous pain in the ass for the service advisor because as soon as you go, oh, I have an aftermarket warranty. That means that when we find out what's wrong with your car, we have to call them. Now, what's weird is, is these people don't have a problem calling you and saying, oh, your warranty's about to expire. You, you need to up your warranty. They have no fucking problem with that. They'll call you all day long, 10, 15 times a day. I get those calls all the time. I fucking, I had one today. I had one today where the guy goes, well, we were interested. We were, we were wondering if you were interested in extending the warranty on your Chevrolet. And I said, I don't have that anymore. Caught fire. They're like, oh, you have any other cars? I go, no, I walk now. And I hung up on the guy. It's like, fuck you, okay? Suck my dick. Cold call me for a warranty on my car. I'm a fucking technician. I don't need a warranty. I'm going to fix it myself, dumbass. But here's the thing. You come in and you say you have a warranty on your car and maybe that warranty's expired or maybe it's just a shit warranty, which is really the case most of the time. Because here's the thing with a warranty company. What you have done is you have provided money to a warranty company and they say, that they'll cover any repairs that your car needs up to a certain point. Uh-huh. That's just great. That just looks so fucking wonderful on paper. But a lot of these warranty companies are the stingiest motherfuckers on earth. They're like banks or the fucking cable company. They got your money. They're not going to give you shit for it. They're not going to. Insurance companies are the worst. Warranty companies are the worst. They're the worst. They want your money. They'll take your money. They gladly take your money. And when you pay them the money you pay them, what do they call it? They call it a premium right? But when you need repairs done to your car, either it's collision work or maybe you need engine work or whatever it is you need, do they go out and get you premium parts for your car? Fuck no, they don't. They get you the cheapest fucking shit that they can find. They try to find used fucking parts. They try to find aftermarket parts. They're not getting you premium parts. You pay a premium. They're not going to pay a premium. Fuck that. And then the other thing that they do, insurance companies and warranty companies, is they try to arm wrestle with the shop over the repair labor, over the labor charges. They say, well, we only pay $26 an hour. They say, well, you can only go fuck yourself, asshole. We're not fixing your car here. Send them on their way. And if you've taken the car apart, if you've diagnosed it, then the customer owes you for DIAG. So if it should be covered under warranty, but it's not, or the warranty's not reasonable about what they want to pay, that should not be your fucking problem as a technician or a shop owner or a dealership. Should not be your fucking problem. If they have a warranty and it's, you know, some crazy offshore warranty company and they don't want to, you know, they don't even want to send an adjuster over, they're just not going to cover it. And you've taken the thing all apart. And, and they go, oh, no, 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 we're not going to pay for that. Well, somebody is going to pay for that. So you should know that up front. And, and any good service advisor will tell you that up front too. They'll say, listen, if you're going to tell me you have an aftermarket warranty company, that's fine. But if we diagnose your car and that aftermarket warranty company says, yet, then guess who's on the hook? Yeah, that would be you. Okay. So I'm just telling you right now, it's a gamble because a company that you have picked to have a warranty with is not 
a real fucking good one. And a lot of advisors will know when they're dealing with a good one. And I'll tell you something. This is crazy, too. And, and I'm not endorsing anybody by any stretch of the imagination. But some of the best warranties I've seen come from people like CarMax and Carvana and probably Vroom. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because they don't fix their cars. They just clean them up and sell them to you. If there's something wrong with them, they're going to leave it up to you to get it fixed. They don't pay for it. They don't have any problem paying for it. They don't have any problem at all because they didn't have to pay for it in the first place. You know, they didn't go in and go, oh, this is bad. They let you figure it out. You go in and you go, oh, this is bad. You call them up and they go, hey, this is bad. They go, oh, okay. And then get it, they're like, get it fixed. We'll pay for it. Instead of doing it, it's almost, instead of being proactive, they're just reactive. And they're saving a shithouse of money that way too, because they're not repairing anything that they thought might need to be repaired before you bought it. You just bought it sight on, really you bought it sight unseen in many cases, and they are selling it to you sight unseen. And as soon as you see something and you say something to them, oh, they fucking cough the check right up. Makes them look like a hero. When if they'd been a hero in the first place, they would have looked this thing over before you bought it. That way you weren't so inconvenienced by having it break the fuck down. I've seen this many, many times, okay? That's what that's actually where the used car market is going now, as far as, you know, like a Carvana or a CarMax or anything like this, is they have excellent warranties because they're saving money up front. They're saving money in the beginning. They're not doing the brakes. They're not putting tires on them. You you find them, you you know, you get the car dropped off with a flatbed at your house and it has a flat tire next morning, you find a nail in it, they'll pay for that. They won't have have any problem doing that they're only going to buy one but if if they were a reputable repair shop that did a certified pre-owned inspection on that car they probably would have replaced all four of them and the car also probably would have cost a little bit more to buy but you wouldn't have had to walk to work that day or get a ride or maybe just miss work altogether because the car you just bought had a nail in a tire nobody noticed it because nobody is being paid to notice it and they took care of it afterwards they were reactive instead of proactive Okay, and that's the difference. The difference between some of the some of these car companies, some of these used car companies. Some of them aren't going to fix something until you notice it. Some of them are going to fix fix the stuff that's wrong with the car as we or they notice it. I think I'd rather have all the stuff fixed first before I got my hands on it. But you know what? Yeah, that involves having to go down to a dealership and actually look the car over and test driving it and talking to a salesman. A lot of people don't want to do that anymore. They want to do everything over the internet. Well, that's what you get. Somebody's going to drop a car off at your house on a flatbed. There's a good fucking reason for that. This way, it doesn't break down on them while they're driving it over to your house. They'll tell you, of course, oh, it's because we don't want to put all kinds of miles on the car once you've bought it. Okay, that would be a fucking tragedy, wouldn't it? I only live 12 miles away. I'm going to put 120,000 miles on this car. I'm 12 miles away. That's like 0.0001% of the mileage is going to be on it. I think I could deal with it. Drive it over. If it breaks down driving at 1.2 miles or 12 miles or 120 miles, you're going to pay for it. You should have paid for it beforehand, but not after. All right, well, that's one of the things that goes on with warranties. Uh, the shop says it will probably will provide repair services pursuant to a warranty and then charges you for the repair work. And and what they're saying here is they're trying to double dip here. The repair was covered by the warranty, but they're trying to get money out of you too. I have seen that, but I've, I've seen a lot of crazy stuff. Mostly when I was in the parts business, I saw this kind of shit going on. I haven't been a part of it. I wouldn't work for a shop that did those kinds of things. I haven't seen it from that end of the business. That was number nine. Here's number 10. This goes on. It's just a little longer. 12, there's 12 things to it, and I'll finish up for you, okay? Like I said, this is a Monday evening kind of a podcast. These things always go like this. Uh, There's just not a lot of time and energy goes into them because I'm fucking pretty well spent, okay? And I apologize. I should be giving you 100%. 
And I'm not. I'll make it up to you. I swear to God. I swear to God I will make it up to you. All of you. All of you wrench twisted bastards out there. I'm going to make it up to you, okay? You just got to trust me. Number 10, the shop starts repair work before obtaining written approval of the loan from the finance company in those instances where you borrow money to pay for repairs. Um, I'm not really running into that. If you are, you know, God bless you. If people have to get a loan out to actually get their car fixed, that's a, I don't know, that's a sad situation if their car is that fucked up that they have to get a loan from someone to get their car fixed. I can see maybe getting a credit card and putting it on a credit card, which is sort of the same thing, but well, again, here again, not really. If the loan company does not approve the loan and the work is already done, you may still be liable for the payment if you can't show the deception. Well, now, personally, I would say, uh, and this would just be for my own self, uh, for my own person, for my own shop, if somebody comes in and they need a big job done, and they say they have to get a loan to get it done, I would turn fucking bolt number one until that loan was approved and there was a check issued and it was in our hands or at least in the customer's hands because then the customer, because we don't care where the money comes from. We don't care if a warranty company's paying or if a, if you're getting a loan from a bank or maybe you're getting a loan from a loan shark or maybe you're going to try to win the lottery. I mean, it doesn't really matter to us where the money comes from. We need the money in order to give you your car back. And if you authorize a repair and you don't have the money, that's not our problem. You're going to have to give us the money and then you'll get your car back. You see how this works? It's not something, you know, we're not going to go ahead and start a repair on your car pending approval of a loan. We wouldn't do that unless, of course, you uh, didn't really tell us, unless, of course, you tried to deceive us and said, oh yeah, I've got the money, no problem. And maybe we'd even ask for a deposit because in some cases that would just be a really good idea. But in that particular case, we don't care where the money comes from. You could actually print it if you wanted to. You could. I mean, there's some of these fucking printers out there that do such a good job that you could print $100 bills, come in and pay for your work for it. And then the FBI or the Secret Service would show up like a lot later when they traced it back to where it went. Yeah, where the money comes from. And and, and we're not going to, believe me, the shops that I've worked in, and I know that there's other shops out there that would do something devious like that. I'm, they're, they're out there. I hate to even admit it, but they're out there. Uh, the shops I've worked in, though, are above board and honest and have integrity, and they won't do something like that if they know that's what's going on. If you say, I have to get a loan to pay for this, we will wait until we hear the status of that loan. If it's approved and you say it's okay, we'll go ahead. If it's not approved, we'll work something out. Maybe you just pay us a little bit at a time. That's happened before too. Uh, paying for a large repair is always going to be a problem for some people. I get it. You know, there's not a lot of disposable income out there for some people. And sometimes they need their car to go to work or to pick the kids up or deliver pizzas or drive DoorDash or, or Lyft or Uber or anything like that. I get it. You need your car and you don't have the money to get it fixed. We'll have to figure something out. And we usually can. We're in the business of fixing them and getting you going again. If we have to, in some cases, we'll we'll bite the bullet and uh, let you make payments. It doesn't happen very often. I got to be honest with you. It doesn't happen very often. Uh, a lot of places like like the place I'm working now will offer to get you into a credit card. If you don't have any kind of credit and can't get the credit card, then you may just be out of luck. Okay. And that happens too, but we're in business to make money. I'm in, I w- fix cars to earn money so I can buy the things I want to buy. Not going to work for free. Not going to be a volunteer. It's not going to happen. So if you don't have the money and you can't get and, and you can't get your car fixed, you're going to have to figure something out. That's not the shop's job to do that for you. We'll help you if we can. We'll help you if we can, but we're uh, we're probably not going to be able to do much of anything other than provide you with credit card type of range. All right, moving on to number 11. The shop fails to notify you and secure your additional approval in writing 
for any additional work to be done that was not set forth in the original written agreement. Well, this happens all the time. This happens all the time. But the shop, and in the shop that I work in, sometimes we have to put additional parts into a vehicle. We pay for them ourselves. The shop does anyway, not me. The shop does because it's just part of the cost of doing business. And I'm, I'm have, I really don't have too much of a problem with that because I know how much profit the shop is making on some of this stuff. I mean, I know how much they're paying me. I know how much they're charging for my labor. I also know how much they, they make off the parts. I know that there's an incredible amount of money to be earned owning and running a shop. There's an incredible amount of money. And if every once in a while they have to bite the bullet and pay for a part, I'm not going to get too upset about it. I try desperately not to let it happen, but it does happen. It is part of the business. It is part of the business. And so the shop will at times eat a part. They they call it eating a part. And, and usually what happens is at the end of the month, the parts department will have a, uh, a service ticket, a counter ticket for the service department that shows everything that everybody in the shop broke and had to replace on the shop's dime. And then they get all upset about it because after, you know, 28, 26, 28 days or 30 days, uh, this shop ticket is enormous. It can be enormous. And uh, and I've contributed to it myself many times, not on purpose, of course, but it it, get, it happens. And a good shop will actually kind of bank on it being necessary. Also, too, there is uh, garage keepers uh, insurance that will cover some of these parts if they're expensive, if they're extraordinarily expensive, they get damaged somehow or another. That happens, too. Try not to let it happen. So uh, a shop, typically a, a good shop is not going to do that. They're not going to fail to notify you that you need to have additional parts. If you need additional parts and the shop is not going to pay for you, pay for them. And they put them on the car and try to get you to pay for them without telling you beforehand. That is wrong and should not happen. But there's ways around that, as I was saying. Now, we get to the end of this. And it was only 12 items. And I could probably think of some more. Uh, shop charges for a computer diagnostic without telling you advance it was required. Well, I'd say if I work on, uh, say I work on 25 cars a week, I'm probably going to scan 20 of them. Uh, computer diagnosis, uh, the re- the readout of the tester, the uh, scanning of faults to see why something's not working. Maybe it goes. It's not. It's not something we charge extra for. It's going to be included in the diagnostic charge. If I charge you an hour to diagnose something on your vehicle, and I use the tester to diagnose what's going on with your vehicle. I'm not going to call that out as a separate charge for you. That's included in the regular diagnosis. I would think a lot of shops are like that. If you charge separately for computer diagnosis, separate from, I don't know, physical diagnosis or hands-on diagnosis or even anal diagnosis, who knows what you would call it or what what's being done even. If you call out different types of diagnosis and charge for each one of them, then maybe you're just a, a fucking pirate. Maybe you're just somebody out there trying to rip people off. Uh, most people don't do that. There was some more here. Let me just quickly broad stroke it for you. It says resolving disagreements over the bill. If there's a charge, if if the charge is much higher than the estimate or if the work was done without your authorization, you feel you have been overcharged, question the bill, have the shop write out the reasons for the difference in cost and keep this written explanation together with the work estimate, final bill and other paperwork. Make sure the mechanic returns your old parts. This is, uh, this is, uh, nobody ever wants their old parts. I left an old part in a car one time and I got yelled at. 
I said, I thought maybe the the, the people might want the old part. They didn't want it. <laughs> and they got mad that it was in there. Okay. Well, look, seriously, if you buy a new part for your car and I put it in your car, you still own the old part. Okay. You as a, <laughs> you as the customer with the vehicle that that old part came off of still technically own that old part. Now, I routinely, and you and I do the same thing, we throw those parts away. No customer wants them, but there's going to be that one time where the customer's going to be there. I want the old parts. Okay, great. And then you look around for a garbage bag or a box or something to put the fucking things in because they're usually greasy and shitty. There's also other parts that have a core charge on them. You're not going to be giving them back to the, uh, you're not going to be giving them back to the customer at all. They should know that. If they don't know that, that's a failure of whoever is supposed to communicate with that particular person. And believe me, when I tell you, uh, when it comes down to being a legal matter, whoever has the old parts typically wins. So if you have them, if you keep them, or if they're just there and you have them, that's going to be the evidence you might need if it turns into a legal matter. Uh, even if you are unsatisfied with the mechanic's explanation of the difference between the bill and the final charge, keep in mind. Now, here's, wait a minute. I'm already having a problem with that statement, okay? Even if you are unsatisfied with the mechanic's explanation of the difference between the estimate and the final charge, um, Gentlemen, uh, I don't really suppose there's a lot of you out there who actually talk to customers and or provide them with the estimate. I'm sure there's some. I'm sure there's some. And they're going to have these kinds of problems. Sure. But most of us don't. I don't think that most, I don't think that the large majority of us deal with the customers at all. So if there's a difference between the estimate and the final bill, that may not have anything to do with the mechanic. It's really wrong to even look at the mechanic as far as that particular goes because, you know, I've been doing this 18 plus years now and the customer has paid me exactly zero fucking times for the work I've done to their car. Zero. It is not happening. Somebody else gets the money and they get all of it. They get a lot of it and they give me a little fucking tiny taste of it. And that's the problem that we have as mechanics is that whoever is making all these fucking problems for the customers and for us is getting all of the money. Now, it, it, I think what they're, when they say mechanic, what they mean is the shop. And uh, because it goes on to say here, keep in mind that if you refuse to pay a repair bill, even a bill in dispute, the mechanic has a legal right to keep your car until you pay. The, it should say the shop, okay? Because I don't want to keep... Look, some of the cars I work on are nice, I agree, but I don't want them, I, especially after some of these fucking people have owned them. After they've owned them and driven and driven them and dropped french fries under the seat and wiped boogers on the mirror, and ugh, it's just gross, some of the shit I see in these cars. And I wouldn't fucking want them. So if they don't want to pay for them, I'm like, just just tell them to take the fucking thing and get it out of here. That's all. But here, listen, you can, uh, it, as a customer, you can file a complaint with the attorney general's office, which you can always do, or the Better Business Bureau. The Better Business Bureau really doesn't have any kind of a recourse for you. They just, they're like, oh, you know, they'll call up and say, hi, this is the Better Business Bureau. We'd really like it a lot if you'd, you'd give that guy his car. And then you have to explain to him how they how they got exactly one side of the story. And then they go, oh, because that's always what people say when you fill in the blanks of a story about how come the shop ripped me off, you know. The Attorney General's office, however, does have the backing of a very uh, competent group of individuals who carry guns and nightsticks and drive around in cars that are typically black and white and have big red lights on the roof. Okay, so you don't want to fuck with them too much. The Better Business Bureau, you can just kind of hang up on them if you want. And also, too, uh, there are small claims courts that you can use to... Uh, 
obtain payment for services rendered or vice versa to uh, not have to pay claims that for services that you don't feel were rendered or rendered properly. Okay. There's always, there's always a recourse there. Don't, don't take matters into your own hand. Don't become physical. And listen, if you're a mechanic, one of the things I want to tell you too is don't vandalize people's cars. Okay. Uh, because this is just bad karma and you may or may not believe in karma and it's fine, but I'll tell you what, you vandalize one person's car one fucking time. Okay. Try it and see what happens to your own car. Somehow or another, karma will find you and fuck your car right up. So don't do it. Just don't let it happen to you. Okay. Be a bigger person, be the more intelligent and mature person in a situation where you might feel necessary to uh, exact some vengeance. Just don't do it. Okay, it's going to work out better for you in the long run if you do not do that. And there's no way for me to prove that. You just have to know that feeling in your heart and in your head. Okay, one last thing here, and this is from the attorney general's office, by the way. If you paid by a credit card and are unhappy with the repairs that were performed by the mechanics and you may dispute the charge with your credit card company. Yeah, we we do that every once in a while. It says it must be done within 60 days. Oh, it says it must be done within 60 days after you receive the credit card bill. So you have additional time there. Now, if you have a car that was repaired 60 plus days ago and you're not happy with that and you decide you don't want to pay, it's a little late, you know? So if you have a problem, you should have that problem right away. And like I said here, there are ways to address those problems and they're above board. They're illegal. Um, When we talk about things being uh, above board, we're talking about things that are legal things that are right, okay? And not in a not in a law and order kind of a way, but also in a uh, in a good human being type of a way where things things get done properly and uh, people's property and their their machines are properly maintained and properly repaired and you you do the job correctly and and everything goes smoothly because everyone is reasonable. Everybody does what they're supposed to do. Everybody gets paid. Everybody earns the money that they get paid and the customer is happy to give you the money because he received the value that he gets when he uses his vehicle and it works properly where it did not do that before. So what I am saying here in essence, and the attorney general of the state of Texas kind of failed to say this is, is look, let's be good to each other. Let's do the right thing all the time. Be good people, follow the rules Make sure that all of your all of your ducks are in a row, that all of your T's are crossed, your I's are dotted, that you get the signatures you need in order to go ahead and work on a vehicle, that you provide the proper estimates, that you provide the proper parts, that you do the proper work, and the vehicle is fixed properly. Let's just do that, okay? Uh, I know that I give some people a hard time sometimes about the way they do things or what gets done, but we just all want to do the job correctly, no matter where we are on this planet. And we want to do this job within the letter of the law, because if we do it outside the letter of the law, the law will show up someday. And as you all know, you could fight the law, but the law wins. The law always wins. All right, that's enough of your Uncle Jimmy. I'm going to have some better, more exciting podcasts for you in the future, I hope. This one was kind of a yawner, and I apologize. Try to make it as fun as I could, possibly could. Uh, I just wanted to fill you. I just feel like sometimes I need to inform you about things. Uh, the legal matters in this case, they could be consequential. You'll you'll meet someday. You'll meet somebody who had a problem and they had to go to court and they had to sit there and be test and testify and and provide uh, you know all of the. Uh, all of the information necessary to uh, satisfy a lawsuit or a civil suit or even a trial of some sort. 
you know, where there were uh, charges brought that may range anywhere from petty larceny all the way up to uh, vehicular manslaughter. So just make sure that your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted so that if this happens to you, you can roll in there and hold your head up high and say, I did my job exactly the way I was supposed to. And they'll say, thank you very much and let you go. All right, that's enough for your Uncle Jimmy. He's going to head out. He's going to go to bed probably because it's getting kind of late and he's been yakking away for hours here now, it seems like. And Eric will have to trim it down, and I hope he does a good job because there was a lot of garbage on this one, all right? But here at the end, I want to say before I go, see ya.